Good morning. No cowboy boots. I had, I had knee surgery, and um, I'm not up to cowboy boots yet. So uh, it sounds way better if I tell you I had knee surgery. I actually had partial knee replacement surgery, which sounds like an old person's operation. <laughs> and that's what it is. It is an old person's operation. And so I stand before you old and partially corrected in my knee. So we'll... But that's my excuse for, I'm going to stand up three times. I'm gonna, anyway, good to see you too. First thing he said, where's your boots? <laughs> We've been working our way through a series together and talking about um, work, talking about money, um, talking about rest and, and how to do all of those kinds of things and trying to gain some, um, some sense of what the scriptures kind of teach us about those topics, knowing that they're a little bit difficult for us. Um, I want to come back. Uh, Jay was here with you last week, and he talked to you about um, the issue of money. I was at South Hills doing the same thing, and I want to come back to that warning from Jesus about greed. And so I know this is heavy lifting, and you haven't seen me in a while, and I don't have my boots on, and so um, this is going to be maybe a tough morning for some, but... but once I think, once you give us a chance to, to kind of see the nature of greed, you'll see why Jesus was so serious about it and gave such a stern warning. And um, perhaps you'll discover some things about yourself that God might want to do in you. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump in. God, we have already declared that you are God and we are not. And we have said that our best efforts to come before you are simple words like hallelujah. It's all we got. And yet in your grace, in your mercy, you extended yourself to us. And the celebration of communion was just that, was just a reminder of, of taking on flesh and blood and spilling uh, out your life for us on Calvary's cross. We are grateful. And uh, we confess to you that our walk with you, our, our attempts to walk, um, are sometimes just so sidetracked we don't even recognize them. So please, God, uh, help us to see the words of Christ afresh, see some of the hope of the antidotes you've given us, and then give a specific application in terms of how we might move forward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Greed, the best of us fight it every day, and the rest of us rationalize it. And the truth is, is that we all struggle at some point with this greed, but no one ever thinks they have it. In over 35 years of doing vocational ministry, I've only had one person ever step into my office and say, would you help me with my greed? Now, I've had tons of greedy people come in, <laughs> but none of, them, none of them came in recognizing that. It's, it's a very difficult self-diagnosis for us. It's listed among the deadly sins, and aside from pride, um, it's pretty tough to find a sin that's caused more grief. James, the brother of Jesus in James chapter 4 says that actually greed is the source behind all of our conflict in life. This is what he says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? 
Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And this greed is very real inside of us. And why is it so difficult? It's because greed can disguise itself in your life as a virtue. Greedy people can be savers. They can be planners. They can disguise it as financial prudence. They can say it's a good work ethic or they're concerned for the security of their family. And stewardship can be a smokescreen to hide the greed in our lives. And it is, it's among us. It, it is the reality of our life. Uh, the accumulation of wealth enables a variety of freedoms. It's, I'm not saying that wealth is bad at all, and it removes limits on our life. But according to the Federal Reserve, the top 1% households in the United States hold 32.3% of the wealth in our country. And that's shocking enough, but here's the other part. While the bottom 50% in our country hold only 2.6% of the wealth. Now, here's a, here's a stat that might shock you. To make it into the, let's go globally for a second. If to make it into the richest in the world, in the top 1% globally, how much income do you think you have to make a year as a household? 68, 65, 65, 65, do I hear 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, thank you very much. $34,000 annually puts you in the top 1% of what's going on globally. Now, who, me, you know, I'm not greedy. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's why I'm here. I'm, I'm not a greedy person, but you might be greedy. Let me just read you a couple of things. You might be greedy if you talk a lot about money and you worry about it some. You're not a cheerful giver. You might be greedy if you're reluctant to share. You use the word mine a lot. You might be greedy if you're a poor loser. Or you quibble over insignificant sums of money. You talk as if you never have enough. And you often create a culture of secrecy around you. You won't let people forget about what you've done for them. You are reluctant to express gratitude. You aren't content with what you have. In the English language, the most written word in the English language is I. I'm sorry, it's the. But the most spoken word in the English language is I. It's a sinister sin, and it sneaks up on us. And Jesus in the Bible talks a lot about it. Jay brought this to you last week, and um, it's, it's just a topic of more than 25% of his parables. It's, it's one out of every 10 verses. L listen, the Bible talks about, has about 500 verses on prayer and about 500 verses on faith, but it has over 2,300 verses on wealth and possessions and resources. And it's not, it, greed is not a financial issue. It really isn't. Um, some of my most greedy moments have been when I've had the least. It's a hard issue. 
It's a hard issue for you. And, that, and that's why Jesus speaks so clearly to it. And that's why we're gonna slow down and take a second week on it. Is if we, those of you who are here and you're actually um, a, not a follower of Christ, you're just kind of checking things out, you'll see that Jesus had a great concern for the heart of his, of his kids. And he knew that greed was out there and that it would just suck the life out of them. And so he had some very, very important things to say. This is, I wrote this down. Greedy people believe they deserve every good thing that comes their way. Not only that, they deserve every good thing that could possibly come their way. Not only that, they believe they deserve every good thing that comes your way. And knowing that the community that Jesus has built us for, how it would get just torn up by greed, he said this. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, and by them, I think he turns to his disciples, and he says to them, watch out, be on your guard. Those are imperative positions in the structure of this sentence. It's like, hey, look out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The bumper sticker's a lie. He who dies with the most toys dies. In Matthew chapter six, he was very um, straight to the point when he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. And see, that's why Jesus spent so much time with it. And that's why we're gonna take a second week. So let's think about greed a little bit. There are actually two faces of greed, and I wanna talk to him a little bit about that. And then there's an antidote that scriptures tell us there's real hope in this. Some of y'all are looking at me like, man, should have stayed at home. So just hang in there. And then we'll, we'll try to get real practical in terms of how to move this thing forward. So there's, there's two faces of greed. Um, and in our household, I represent one face of greed and my wife represents the other. So it, maybe you'll be able to kind of say, which, which of these two is mine? The first face of greed is wanting all you can get. It's excessive acquisition. It's the word in all caps, more. Well, how much do you have? I, I have this much, but... Well, how much do you need? I need more, just a little bit more. Peter Kreef said that we assume that happiness comes from possessing, from having things, and that's a lie. Happiness can only come from being, not from having. A guy named Farley said, we spend hours in boutiques and department stores wondering if we want something. Anybody do that this past week? Whereas if we really needed or wanted it, we would have no doubt. We don't need a reminder from Google to tell us that we want it if we really do need it. Now, this, this face of greed, this more mentality, that's mine. That's my, the face of greed that attacks me the most, the strongest in our house is more. I, 
I tell, <laughs> there's, a, there's a joke in our house and it's become where it's not really that, it's not a joke if it's at your expense, right? But um, the, it's the mantra, if some is good, more is better. If two Tylenol help, take three. And that kind of, that kind of mindset is kind of seeped into my outlook towards things. But there's an antidote. There is actually an antidote in the scriptures to the acquisition of more. And it's contentment. And here's the beautiful thing about contentment. You can learn it. You can not have it today, and you can have more of it tomorrow. You can learn contentment. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Now, and he's writing this in a bad circumstance. He says, I, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is, is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all, everything, all things through him who gives me strength. Now, probably, if you've been a Christian very long, that Philippians 4.13, that last verse, you've used that verse for stuff. I can do all things. Athletes write Philippians 4.13 on their tennis shoes before they go out for a game. The problem is, is that the verse directly applies to the learning of contentment because it's so hard. But you can do it. We can learn and to say, enough, enough. Now, I've been a Christian for almost 50 years. There's another one of those old things. And I've had two advantages in this fight um, because for the... Naturally, in my own wiring, I'm not content. It's not a natural thing for me, but I've had two great advantages in this pursuit. The first one is a wife who is frugal and doesn't spend a ton. And so that means that since she helps run the, she runs the finances of my house, it means I got to defend whatever it is I want to go get more of. <laughs> And she helps me with that. <laughs> and we've basically had unwritten rules that I, when we first got married, 20 bucks was a lot. There was no way I'd spend 20 bucks without permission. I mean, now we've moved all the way up to probably a crisp Benjamin, so I can spend maybe 100 and get away with it sometimes, but probably not. And that's been a great advantage to me to have that kind of an influence. You, you, you might be here and you might say, you know what, I want more, and so does she. Sucks to be you. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> You're gonna have to work a little bit harder at this because you don't have the natural defenses in, that, that uh, I've been able to have. I also married a woman who went to church. I didn't go to church before I got married. I was 20, almost 24 years old before we went to church, and she went to church and she believed that God um, should be represented in our budget. That was news to me. That was new. And so I have some, I have some advantages here in terms of the learning process that I've gone to, but it, I can tell you I am more content now than I certainly was 10 years ago. And I am learning this process of sometimes more is not better. More is just more. And it's a hassle. 
If you suffer with this more ordeal, then there are some death words for you that I want to warn you about. They are words like, you might also like, because you bought, frequently bought together, because you searched for this. I mean, see, the system is designed to create discontentment in you. If you don't know that, you are foolish. Every advertisement you see is telling you it is not enough. You need more. And so you need to ask yourself, where where are the triggers in my life? Where are the things that cause me to, to go down the road where I'm asking for more? For me, um, my triggers are pocket knives. I've shared that with you before. Homes with property. Pre-1970 pickup trucks. All of these things. Golf. (laughs) Ushers, we've got a heckler down here. And some, I didn't say those were my only issues. Thank you. Man, it's, You might ask yourself or your spouse, what are your triggers that make you think you want more? There's another face to greed. And it's this, keeping all you got. It's excessive retaining. It's the four-letter word, mine. And you can't imagine getting rid of some things. And to my wife, since she just jumped in, (laughs) she tends to think we should keep it. If we've got it, we should keep it. And there's an antidote for this according to the scriptures. It's generosity. Just as guilt is conquered by confession and anger is conquered with forgiveness, guilt is conquered with generosity. In fact, the the word, the, uh, the virtue name for generosity, Thomas Aquinas gave it a Latin word, and it's, it comes from a freedom from the power of money and possession. It actually means liberty. That you can, you can exercise this generosity and that it can bring freedom to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, it says, you will be made rich in every way, so that. Now, so that, whenever you see that in the scriptures, it's a purpose statement. You should circle it. Every time you're reading along and you see, so that, there's a purpose statement. You'll be made rich in every way. Why? What's the purpose of being made rich in every way? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. There's a reason you have what you have. And it's not, this this may shock you, It's not for you. See, I believe that 
God is constantly answering prayers of the poor around the world by giving resources to people who have money and, the, and that's supposed to be kind of flow through to answer some of those prayers and we're just dead stop. We're just, nope, gonna keep that. In, as early as 55, 58 AD, the church of Christ was exercising this generosity weekly. 1 Corinthians 16 says, on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Nobody sets aside the same. You determine and set it with your income. That's, that's the practice. And God measures this generosity that you're, you're doing, not by the size of the gift, but by the size of the sacrifice. There, there are some of us in the room that are impressed with gifts that have six digits to it, when in reality, that six digits didn't cost that person hardly anything at all. I know that's hard for some of us to imagine, but it's true. There's a word for the salaries that go along in Silicon Valley. You know what they call it? Stupid money. Because it makes you stupid. And so you can actually fight this mind mentality by just giving things away. All right, beat up you, I've beat up on you enough. Let's get started on how, do you, how would you do this? How would you begin to see contentment and generosity play out into your life? Let me give you, I've got, I've got about four or five ideas. The first one is to honestly evaluate your financial situation. There are some of you in the room who really don't know what's going on. You, you, don't, you don't really know. I, I've heard this a lot. I just don't know where the money goes. Bad statement. Even if the money's going in a bad place, you should know where it's going. So record your expenditures and begin to honestly evaluate your situation. Proverbs 27 says this, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Now, I know y'all ain't got no herds, but hopefully you can make it the agrarian transition to the life that we have now. Last week, Jay introduced you to three categories, uh, three columns of financial situations where he said one was a financial, you're in financial hardship, with the enslaving lie, money can save me. And the liberating truth is that only God can save. Listen, don't, don't fall for the silly, cheap lie that if you can just get more, you'd be happy. I mean, if, you, if more made you happy, Hollywood would be the happiest place on earth. It's just not. And if you're in this financial hardship, let me just take you through these categories. I would just encourage you again, please share your need with us. God may be answering your prayer through the community that you're in. And let us help you. If you're in financial uncertainty, a big gob of us are probably in that. I'm, Dana and I are in this in a, in a strange way because of the new season of life for us. Some of y'all are in that. Not many, but some. 
And the lie is, is that money offers certainty. Everything could be all right if I just had more money. And the liberating truth is only God is certain. Riches are so fleeting. You want to make yourself crazy, just watch your portfolio in the stock market daily. Or even just go ahead and be just flat out nuts crazy. Have it ping you on the hour. Right? That's a, that's a recipe for a junk life. That's just no good. So it's uncertain. Only God is certain. He is unchanging. And the intentional practice is to live and give thoughtfully. I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. And then there's some of us who are in financial stability and comfort. And the lie is, this is all mine. God gave this to me so I could be happy. And the liberating truth is that everything is God's. So live and give generously, because that's why you were given it. You were given it so that you could exercise generosity. So determine your situation financially. Second, determine the balance of sacrifice and joy. That's why you're not going to hear anyone stand up here and say, all right, everybody here give 11%. Unless you're in this zip code, you only give nine. We've done the math. Because it's not a math issue. It's primarily a heart issue. How can you balance sacrifice and joy? Dana and I have been on both sides of this. If you can imagine a scale with sacrifice and joy on here, there's been times in my life when I have had a lot of joy about my giving because I wasn't really giving very much at all. It didn't cost me much. And I was happy about it. And then there's been times when I've tried to impress you or God and I've had all of this sacrifice, and I tried to look for ways to make sure everybody knew what I was given, and I had zero joy. How do you balance those two? You, I can't do that for you. I can't do it for you. Now, you can get some people to help you do it, but you've got to do the hard work of saying, what does it look like to determine this where you decide what's sacrifice and joy? 2 Corinthians 9, I love this verse. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Each of you should give only what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You've got to do this work. If you refuse to do the work, then you cannot give biblically. You will not develop contentment, and you will not have any kind of uh, generosity. So, some diagnostic questions for you to think about. Is your giving regular or is it dependent on your attendance? Because I didn't say balance, sacrifice, and joy when you come, when you're here. I said balance, sacrifice, and joy based on your income. Have you determined an amount? Do you have a set amount? Now, I know I'm messing with you, but listen, if, if you haven't predetermined what you're going to do with your resources, you're just not giving biblically. You might be giving, you might be generous. I don't know. But why leave it to chance? And there's a word I want to give a word to those who are over 45. For your whole life, you've said, I've heard you, you know, we've all been taught that, you know, let's have a bucket list and let's, let's uh, strive towards getting to achieve these things and have this list of things we want to do. And that's all great. It's fine to do that. But how about this? 
How about mastering the art of subtraction? How about, how about a reverse bucket list? Like my wife and I have decided we're older now. I've said that several times, I'm sorry. Um, uh, but we're older now and we've decided we like lakes more than we like beaches. It's not a better, it's just us. I, it's okay that you like a beach better than a lake. I'm not, it's, it's just, but we discovered the last time we were at a beach, you know, I'd just soon be at a lake. So we're not gonna spend a whole lot of money trying to get to Hawaii anymore. That's not noble. We'd just rather be at a lake. Um, what's some other things? Um, we're not really super crazy about Europe. No offense. No offense. Some of y'all are like, gosh, he just killed my two dreams. I want to get to Hawaii and I want to get to Europe. Good. That's okay. I'm just, we're older. And our, our efforts and our expenses are just probably not going to be a whole lot towards that in the future. Um, owning land. I've had a dream for a long time. One of my bucket lists was to own land. I don't know. It's because I grew up in Texas. You know, I'd own land and then they'd find oil on it. They'd, <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's probably not going to happen. So you might just do some things in your own life. What are some things that, you know, have been on this bucket list that, you know, they really don't mean that much to you. They're just impressive to the people you talk with at parties. Satisfaction, this is from a guy named Arthur Brooks in a book, Strength to Strength. And he said that satisfaction is halves divided by wants. Halves divided by wants. And the trick is to reduce the denominator, the wants. If you want to be more satisfied in your life and you want to have this contentment, you reduce, you reduce the denominator, you reduce wants. Now, this should also be, it's not just money. If you think I'm talking just about money, you should also decide what you, what, how much time you're going to be able to share as well and what you'll do with your time. Don't allow it to just be a financial thing, um, but determine an amount of money and an amount of time that you can give away with no thought of being repaid. And then set the budget. Bless you. Set a budget. Determine determine to budget for this generous lifestyle and just set it and, and then you, you come up with a plan and you work the plan. This is my wife's strength. I like to come up with a plan and then forget it. But set aside, set aside these things and then just begin to work it. Jim Elliott famously said, a person is no fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And so just begin to work that plan. And as you're working it, you might ask yourselves, what's stuff that I'm hanging on to really closely? If you ask to borrow it, there's a check in my spirit. I don't want to give it to you. What do you have that if I came up and said, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? And it might be that your lawnmower is like perfect, which would be stupid. But anyway... I, and so whenever I asked to borrow your lawnmower, you would say, oh, no way. Well, it might be your car. Can I borrow your car? Ah. Ah. What can you not give away? 2 Corinthians 8, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. 
Let me read that again. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. If you say, well, you know, it's just not much. I feel like the drummer boy at Christmas. If, if it's willing, it's acceptable. God's thrilled with that. And then number four, maybe invite God into the plan. I read this quote just this past week from Dallas Willard in The Spirit of the Disciplines. It really struck me in terms of this whole idea of planning. It says, but just as there is no faith that does not act, so there is no act without a plan. Faith grows from the experience of acting on plans and discovering God to be acting with us and on us and through us. So as you, as you kind of tie all this stuff up, if you say, yeah, let's get, a, let's get a hold of our resources and figure it out, let's determine a plan, let's, let's start to execute that plan, you've got to act. You've got to act. Some of you right now are going like, yeah, we're going to do it, hun. You know, that's, the, that's how the movement of the Holy Spirit works in churches. Yeah. But unless you invite God in on this plan and, and put it in place. Now, a way you can get going that would really help, and if you want to learn on this, you think, gosh, I'm, I've got some debt. It's hard for me to get to this spot. You don't understand the decisions I've made in the past. Financial Wisdom Lab, which is this afternoon at 1230 you're going to get to be in the room with a bunch of guys and gals who, that know how to do this, have ex exhibited and faithfully done this. Get in this. There's the plan. I don't know what I'm going to do. Where do I start? Bam. Right here. Get started. Get started right here. Now, I added a fifth one after I turned in my slides, so I'm going to just, I don't have a slide for it. But here it is. Start saying thank you at least 10 times a day. Just start saying thank you. Are you a person that says thank you a lot? Ask your, ask your folks that you live with, how much do you say thank you? Is that something you, you say on a regular basis? Determine that you're going to just start saying it. Look for opportunities to do it. Find ways to be grateful. As you see God grow your contentment and challenge you in your generosity. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'll close with this. It says, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let me, let me just say this as sincerely as I can. I, I'm not talking to you about greed because I want your money. The truth is, you give more money, you know how much it means to me? And in terms of my own situation, zip, zero, zilch, nada, nothing. Our salaries aren't adjusted based on your giving or not giving. It, I, this is... This is I have had the greed monster around my throat. I have lived a thankless life. 
I have stayed up at night dreaming that I could have more. And I want to tell you all of those things that I think you have some of that too. And that is not the life that is truly life. Of course Christ died for sin on Calvary's cross. Of course he offers eternal life to those who embrace him and forgiveness for sin. But he also gives life now. And part of the most effective strategy of the enemy to rob you of that life is to get you thinking about what you don't have all the time. My motivation here and Jay's motivation for having this series have us come back and visit Greed a little bit is because we want you to experience some of the life that is truly life. We want you to experience the liberty that comes when you shake free of all of those things that are robbing you. Consider it. Those of you who are in Christ, consider it. If you're not a Christian and you're here, let me get, you shouldn't give a dime to this church ever. Except on maybe some of the offerings where we serve the poor and 100% of it goes to the poor. And you say, well, I can help the poor. I don't, I don't know if I agree with these nuts, but I'll help the poor. You, you can do that. But you, you, if I didn't believe in Christ, I wouldn't support y'all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't support the cause of Christ if I don't believe in Christ. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you shouldn't give anything. Now, I know some of you that are Christians just heard what I said and said, oh, I think he said I shouldn't give. <laughs> Wrong. I think you should. Most of you. Some of you are in situations you got to get out of first from decisions in the past. But that's okay. Take a hold of the life that is truly life. Let's pray together. Father, this is difficult for us. Um, we've fallen into patterns of how we live, and we've made sense of them. And we like what we have, and we want to keep it. But your word seems pretty clear that if, if we don't start to open our hands up, that the clenching of our hands around stuff is going to choke the life out of us. And if we don't start opening our hands up, we might not have the resources to do what you want us to do. So I pray for each person who calls himself your child, that you'd help them get into the process of just understanding what the budget is, measuring and thinking through what sacrifice and joy might look like. And then they would begin to work that plan some who don't even have a clue about how to get started, I pray, God, they'd find themselves at 1230 at the uh, Financial Wisdom Lab. And you'd be real specific about how they can get started. Thank you that you did not come just to forgive sins, although that would have been a great gift. But you came to walk with us daily. May we invite you into more and more of that walk. In Jesus' name.